Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. So this past week, we had um, vacation Bible school at our church, and it was a fantastic week. Over 300 kids every day, over 100 volunteers uh, every day um, at our West Conway campus. Both campuses coming together. It was an incredible time together. Wednesday evening, uh, we had what we call family night, and this is a time where we um, get the families together, and we have a big party around VBS, you know, and so we did that. Um, Rebecca, our children's minister, she asked me and Pastor Josh if we would come up on stage and play some VBS games. And um, that's as much information as she gave us. We didn't know anything other than that, which I would just say this. uh, You'd be shocked at the amount of stuff that I just don't know around here. Um, But we got up on stage and we were going to play this game. She told us that we were going to be playing against each other. But then we get up on stage and she's like, no, you guys are now on a team and I'm gonna bring two kids up to play against you. Whatever, that's fine. And so she brings these two uh, little girls up there on stage. And so we start the games and me and Josh, we just destroy them. I mean, we don't hold back at all. Like we're like the 96 bulls up there. I'm obviously Jordan and he's, He's like Tony Kukoc or, or something. Uh, nah, he can be Pippin, that's fine. Uh, and so anyway, we just, we just destroy these girls. It's not even a close game at all. And uh, you know, that's how I play, I play to win. And so it wasn't until afterwards, we're outside, we were at the inflatables and stuff and somebody came up, they're like, why didn't you let those girls win? <laughs> like, why didn't you make it at least a close game? And I'll be honest with you, it didn't even cross my mind until they said it at that moment. <laughs> it's not in, like, I don't, I don't think in that way. It's like, no, we're, we're going to play. We're going to play to win. And, and what, I, what we did in that moment is we taught those girls a very important life lesson. <laughs> and it's this. Life's not fair. <laughs> life's not fair, right? You feel that. You know that. You know that life isn't fair. In fact, can we just all say that together this morning? Life's not fair. Ready? One, two, three. Right, life's not fair. And that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. And maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've felt like life isn't fair. You ever felt that watching your team play, play ball, watching the Hogs and just say the refs hate us, obviously? Like this isn't, this isn't fair. Maybe you felt that like somebody else got the job, somebody else made the team, somebody else got the thing that you were working for. You're thinking that's not fair. Like I'm working hard. And it's not making any kind of difference. Other people seem to be thriving and I'm struggling. I'm catching all the bad breaks. They're catching all the good breaks. Life isn't fair. Maybe you felt that. And maybe you felt that like I'm serving the Lord and it doesn't seem to be making any difference. In fact, I'm serving the Lord and things seem to be getting harder and that's not fair. Have you ever thought that? It's not fair. If you have thought that, you're not alone. Um, A lot of the Bible writers thought that as well. Job said that. David said this isn't fair. Uh, Habakkuk, Malachi, and this morning we're going to hear Jeremiah say that's not fair, right? 
So in, in our text today, um, in our text today, Jeremiah opens chapter 12 by saying, I'm bringing a case against the Lord. Like I'm, I'm bringing this case against you. And what he's essentially gonna say in this case is, hey, this isn't fair. What I'm, what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, this isn't fair. Like if you remember, Jeremiah is living out his calling. In chapter one, God has called him to, to go and proclaim and to preach against his people, the people of, of Judah and how they're living uh, far from the Lord. And it says, you're, you're gonna preach against them. You're gonna tear down the walls that they're building. You're gonna preach against them. And so he's doing that, but what's happening is his life has become even harder. In chapter 11, just before he has this, this uh, moment in chapter 12, he's getting death threats in chapter 11. And not just any death threats, they're coming from his own hometown, right? The people that he knows best want him dead because of what he's doing for the Lord. And so in chapter 12, he just says, God, this isn't fair, right? And so that's the context. That's what we're gonna be looking at. Before we jump in and read the text, I'd love for us just to pray. And so I'm gonna pray for all of us. And why don't you just pray for yourself and ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's, let's pray together. God, we ask that as we come to your word and we open it, that, that you would speak in a way that only you can, that you would reveal your truth to us this morning. And as we look at this text that is very raw and probably meets us right where we are and in our feelings and in our emotions and the things that we wrestle with and think, man, this isn't fair. Why am I going through this? This text is gonna speak to that. Would you help it just to minister to our hearts this morning? Would you help us to see Jesus? Would you help us to see our own shortcomings? Would you help us to see uh, all the ways that we need to step in and follow you even closer? Would you speak? Would you help us to listen? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 12. We're going to read the first six verses together. Start in verse 1. Jeremiah says, You will be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. Yet, I wish to contend with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? You planted them, and they have taken root. They have grown and produced fruit. You are ever on their lips, but far from their conscience. As for you, Lord, you know me, like you see me. You test whether my heart is with you. Drag the wicked away like sheep to slaughter and set them apart for the day of killing. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? Because of the evil of its residents, animals and birds have been swept away for the people have said, he cannot see what our end will be. And then the Lord responds in verse five. If you have raced with runners and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in, in a peaceful land, what will you do in thickets of the Jordan? Even your brothers, your own family, your own father's family, even they were treacherous to you. Even they cried out loudly after you. Do not have confidence in them, though they speak well of you. Let, let's pause there. That's, that's our main text that we're gonna look at this, this morning. In verse one, he says, I know that you're righteous. Like God, I know that you are righteous, you are above all, and no matter what I say, that's still true, that you're righteous and that you're good, but he says, but I wish to contend with you. 
That word means I wish to quarrel. Basically, I just want to fight a little bit. You know, like I know that I know that you're right and I know that you're good. I just want to fight. <laughs> you ever been there? I know that you have spouses. We do that. Like it just sometimes you just kind of want to fight a little bit. And I'm not condoning that, but that's what he's doing here, right? I just want to fight a little bit. And so Jeremiah's complaint. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, his complaint is kind of aimed in in really kind of three directions. First, he says, number one, he says, "What about them?" What about them? We see that in verse one. I know that every single parent in here has dealt with that, right? Kids saying, this isn't fair. What about them? Like they're getting all of the stuff. This isn't fair. That's what kids like to say. And parents, what do you say? That you just worry about you. Life's not fair. You just worry about you. The thing is, we don't ever really grow out of that. (laughs) And that's what Jeremiah does here in verse one. He says, Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? See, he's complaining that they are getting ahead in life and they don't deserve it. That's what he's saying. They don't deserve what they're getting. The people that he's been called to preach to, the ones who are living far from God, the ones that God has set him on mission to go and talk to are in direct disobedience of God yet they're living these happy little lives. And Jeremiah says, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why are you treating them so great? Why are you blessing them? Right? And again, Jeremiah is not the only one that's gonna complain about people. I told you that Job complained, David, uh, Habakkuk, Malachi. In fact, there's a whole category of Psalms that are called the imprecatory Psalms. That's where David prays stuff to God. He says stuff like, break the teeth of my enemy (laughs) in Psalm chapter three. In Psalm chapter 69, he's praying that they would go blind and that their hips would fail and they go like crippled. So like that's what he's praying for his enemies. And so just like a little sub point, a little sub lesson, if you're gonna talk bad about people, at least do it to the Lord, (laughs) right? Because that's biblical apparently, (laughs) right? And so in this moment, in this scene, they want him dead. Those people want Jeremiah dead. They're turning away from God, but it seems like they don't have a care in the world. And Jeremiah is saying, that's not fair. And you've probably had that thought too, haven't you? Like you've probably thought that as well. It's the age old question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why does it seem like the bad people in our world seem to get the furthest? Why are they the ones that get the huge house or the boat or the job or the promotion or the place on the team? Doesn't it just seem like the corrupt seem to get ahead in life, right? I know that we've thought that. And here in this text, it gets worse. Because in verse two, at the end of verse two, he says, you're ever on their lips, but you're far from their conscience. Meaning, They don't love you. They're mocking you. Like they're they're mocking you. Literally, what he's saying is, uh, you are on their lips, but you're far. They're far from your. You are far from their hearts. There's a distance between what they say and who they are. He's saying they're hypocrites. They act like they've got it all together. They even say the right things, but in reality, they're against God. Yet they're happy, and that's not. Fair. And Jeremiah says, I want them to get what they deserve. 
In verse 3, he says, drag them away like sheep to slaughter and set them apart for the day of killing. He wants them to receive death. That's what they deserve. So Jeremiah, he starts his complaint by saying, what about them? And then he shifts the direction of his complaint. And number two, he says, what about you? <laughs> God, what about you? You see in verse one that he trusts, the, we tr- he trusts God's sovereignty, meaning he trusts that God is in total control of the entire universe. But in verse two, he says, you planted them. And now they've taken root. And they've started to produce fruit. He's saying, like, they're getting away with it, and you're letting them. Like, you actually planted them. Nothing happens outside of your, your saying that it can happen, and now they are thriving, and Jeremiah seems to be confused by it, doesn't he? Like, you called me to speak out against them. I'm doing it. They're threatening to kill me. They're thriving, and you're just letting it happen. Jeremiah is on the verge of some very dangerous thinking here. He's on the verge of some dangerous thinking that says either God's not fair, that God is unaware of what's happening, or that God is fooled. And none of those things are true. None of them are true at all. But Jeremiah can't understand how a holy God would allow this to go on. And maybe you've thought that too. Like, people have gone crazy in our world. This world is wicked. And it seems like people just get one step further in life by going down that path. And and you probably thought, like, how can God just let them get away with this? Like, how can he just let them get away with the wickedness and the sinful nature of our world? I need you to know, he doesn't let us just get away with it. He doesn't. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Right? So what you need to understand is this period that we live in right now is a period of grace. It's a period of grace where, where God in his sovereignty has extended to us this period for us to turn from our wicked ways and turn back to him. It's the same thing that's happening in Jeremiah's day, by the way. It's a period of grace. So this time that we live in now is this period of time where God is calling us to come back to him, to repent, to turn to him. And so it may feel like people are just getting away with it, but they're not, right? God will not be mocked. Some people will say, man, why do I need to turn to God? Like, things are just fine for me now. In fact, if I were to surrender to God, it's gonna drastically change my life, not for the better. (laughs) I'm gonna have to start going to church and start, like, giving money and stuff instead of buying boats and going to the lake, you know? This period that we live in is a period of grace, but it will run out. It'll run out, either through your death or through the return of King Jesus, this period of grace will run out. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the payment, what you deserve for sin is death, but the gift of God, right? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel, that your sin separates you from God. What you deserve, what's fair for your sin is death, 
But God is gracious, and he's extending grace to you. And Jesus comes and he lays down his life. He lives a perfect life that you never could have. He lays down his life. He becomes the sacrifice that your sin demands. He gives up his own life. They put him in a tomb because he's dead. He comes bursting out of there alive. And when he does, he offers you life. Like, do you see that that is grace? (laughs) You're not getting away with anything. He's extending to you a period of time to turn back to him. And that's the period that we live in right now. So Jeremiah's complaint, he, he said, hey, what about them? Then he said, what about you? And now finally, number three, he says, what about me? What about me? Verse three says, as for you, Lord, you know me. Like you see me. You test whether my heart is is with you. And really, this is kind of the heart of the whole complaint, I think, is Jeremiah is going, hey, what about me? (laughs) What about me? I'm serving you. I've given my life to this. And people want me dead. People want me, like, how is that fair? Do you even see what's going on down here? Do you even care that I'm suffering? It seems like it would actually be easier to be one of them. I'm suffering, they're living on easy street, that's unfair. That's what Jeremiah is thinking, and I think in this moment, I think he feels overlooked, and I think he feels forgotten. Have you ever felt that? Just overlooked, forgotten? You think, man, I'm doing my best to serve God and to walk faithfully with him, but I can't pay my bills. My kids are losing their minds. The cancer keeps coming back. I'm losing friends or or I'm being left out of the group. You need to know it is common to feel defeated. It is common to feel unseen, to feel forgotten, especially when you're serving the Lord, especially in ministry. Like it hurts when you feel like you're serving, even sacrificing for the Lord and it's just a struggle and you're talked about, and you're left out, and you have your character and your intentions questioned constantly, and you face backlash for decisions or stances on issues, and people talk about you behind your back, and they would rather you just leave. Like, you need to know, people are just mean. (laughs) People are selfish. But you begin to ask yourself, "What, what good am I even doing here? I feel like I'm struggling, and I feel like everybody else is thriving this isn't fair. It's not fair. So that's Jeremiah's complaint. Now I want you to see how God answers. Let's look back at verse five and see, see God's answer to him. He says, if you've raced with runners and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in a peaceful land, what will you do in the thickets of the Jordan? Even your brothers, your own father's family, even they were treacherous to you. Even they have cried out loudly after you. Do not have confidence in them, though they speak well of you. And I know that that's like kind of hard to understand, but essentially what God says, how he answers Jeremiah's complaint to this isn't fair, God essentially says, it's gonna get worse. (laughs) It's gonna get worse. He doesn't try and cheer him up. He doesn't offer him a big hug. He basically says, hey, the worst is yet to come. Anybody see that answer coming? (laughs) 
No, like you expect God to do something different there, but God says, hey, it's gonna get worse. And what he does is he uses two analogies to kind of paint the picture. He says, he says if a foot race with men were you out, imagine running with horses. Which the point is this, a life serving God isn't easy. It's like running a race against horses. Paul uses a similar illustration in Philippians chapter three to talk about the race that we're running. He says, run the race with endurance, talking about this faith journey that we're on being a race. I don't know about you, but racing isn't easy. I hate running, you know? It's not an easy thing. And so if you thought that following Christ was gonna lead to an easier life, then I've got some bad news for you this morning. It's not gonna lead to an easier life. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, he says, you need to count the cost of what it would mean to follow me. You need to, you need to really consider what you're signing up for. You need to count the cost because what you're signing up for is not some life on easy street. Answering God's call for your life will not result in an easier life. And if you ever hear preachers tell you that, that God desires wealth and health and prosperity for you, you need to know that that person is a liar. Don't listen to that guy. Turn off the podcast or the internet stream or whatever it is, however you found that guy. Hopefully it's not standing here, but you need to turn it off. <laughs> that guy's a liar. Jesus himself says in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. You will. Following him does not lead to an easier life. Following God's call for your life, you just need to know this, is like running a race and having a hard time keeping up. That doesn't diminish what he's calling you to. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be worth it. That doesn't mean it's not going to be fulfilling or satisfying, but you need to know that it's not going to be easy. That's the first analogy that he gives. The second analogy is he says, if you stumbled on flat, easy ground, imagine running through the jungle. Like, the point is this, that the life following God often becomes harder, not easier. The longer you follow him, the more you figure this whole thing out, the tougher it gets, not easier. Like, what he says is, not only are you running against horses, but then the race goes off-road and into this thick jungle. And the way that he proves this point to Jeremiah must have been heartbreaking. He says that some of the people back home who want you dead, they're your own family members. That's what he says in verse six. Your own family members back home, they're the ones throwing out the death threats. So it's not gonna be easy. It's important in this moment for Jeremiah to remember his calling, isn't it? It's important for Jeremiah to remember back to chapter one when God called him and what he called him to do. And I would say the same thing is true for you if you're feeling, man, this isn't fair. Things don't seem to be going well for me. You need to remember your calling. Look back at, at uh, chapter one, just a few pages over. Jeremiah's calling, we see it there. In verse 17, God says, now get ready. Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them or I will cause you to cower before them. Today, I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, 
and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and, and the population. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Do you see it? That's his calling. They're gonna fight against you, but I'm gonna be with you. There's two things that you need to know about God. God is far more concerned with the ultimate than the immediate. He's far more concerned about where you're going than where you are. And the second thing is he's far more concerned with promises than explanations. He's far more concerned with promises than explanations. He just doesn't seem to explain a lot of things to us in scripture, does he? I mean, from, from the beginning pages, think of the creation account. I would sure like a lot more detail right there, wouldn't you? <laughs> we get just a few verses of how God spoke in the entire cosmos into existence. He didn't give us the details, but what he tells us is that he's good, that he's powerful, that he speaks all things into existence, that he's the creator. We can trust him. We can love him. That's what he tells us there. All the way through scripture, even in the book of Revelation, there's so many questions there. I would love a few more details, right? But we're not given those details. Why? Well, in Isaiah 55, God says, listen, my ways are higher than your ways. <laughs> my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so I don't know why he doesn't give us all those things. Maybe it's that we can't comprehend it. But the point all throughout scripture is, is not in the details. The point is not in the explanations. It's in the promises, all the way throughout. There are over 3,000 promises of God in scripture. Over 3,000. Here's 10 I wanna give to you. Here's 10 for you to hold on, on to. First, in Ephesians chapter three, he promises to strengthen you. He promises to strengthen you. In, in Matthew chapter 11, he promises to give you rest. In Philippians chapter four, he promises to take care of all your needs. In Matthew chapter seven, he promises to answer your prayers. In Romans chapter eight, he promised to, to work everything out for your good. In Joshua one, he promises to be with you. In Psalm 91, he promises to protect you. In 1 John one and John chapter eight, he promises freedom from sin. In Romans chapter eight, he promises that nothing can separate you from him. And in John chapter three, he promises you life eternal. Those are the promises of God for you. And as his people, Man, we don't press him for the explanations. We hold on to the promises. Because explanations may make you uh, a little bit smarter. It might satisfy some curiosity. But holding on to his promises will build your character and it'll give you hope in the midst of the hard. And that's always been his goal. So in 2005, Staples, the office company, they released a, a commercial that would become a pop culture phenomenon. They released a commercial that went along with their tagline, Staples, that was easy, right? And so what they did is they had this commercial of this guy who was trying to change like two diapers at once. And there was a doctor who was trying to perform a, a surgery. There was a guy trying to break a wild horse there was a, a kid trying to take a math test. And in each one of those situations, they hit this big red button that looks like this. And when they hit that button, it takes all the hard out of the situation, right? 
And what was crazy about that commercial back in 2005 is the marketing department at Staples never could have imagined what happened next. People started coming to the store to buy a button. <laughs> and they didn't have them, so they had to start creating these buttons. And, and to date, they've sold over eight million of these things. And let me show you what it does. That was easy. That's it. <laughs> That's all it does, literally. And for $9.99, you can go to Staples and you can own one, like eight million other people have. And it's like, why would eight million people wanna go buy one of these red, goofy buttons that don't do anything? I think it's because deep down, man, we all want easy. <laughs> we all want fair. We wish that it actually worked, all right? We all face unfair things, difficult things, challenging things. We wish there was just a button that we could smash to make it all go away. We want easy, we want fair. But the point of this text, what God is telling Jeremiah and what he's telling each of us, life's not fair. Life's not fair, it's not easy. That's essentially the point. But as we close, like, I want you to remember that, yes, life isn't fair, but that's actually a really good thing. It's actually a really good thing for us. Like, can I remind you that you were once one of the they's? <laughs> like, you were one of the people who were far from God, just in rebellion against him. You were one of the ones that Jeremiah would have been complaining about. But God extended you grace. He offered you a, a chance. In your sin, Scripture says in Romans chapter 5 that you are an enemy of God. An enemy. What you deserve for your sin is death. That's what would have been fair. And maybe you're going, well, that's not very fair that God just lets us off the hook. Here's what I would say. He doesn't just let us off the hook. Every single drop of God's wrath towards your sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He took every bit of it. He became the propitiation for your sin. He became the object of God's wrath towards your sin on the cross. That's how you can have salvation. What would have been fair for you to spend an eternity in hell. But Jesus steps in. He offers grace. And so the next time you feel overlooked, I want you to remember the cross. The next time you feel mistreated, unloved, left out, next time you feel like life isn't fair, I want you to remember the cross. And then I want you to trust God. Trust his promises. Trust what he's called you to. That he desires to extend grace to the they's. And he's going to use you to do that. And so trust in his calling and trust in his promises, even when things don't seem fair. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. 
To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.